0: Before we get started with today's show, I want to tell you guys about BetOnline.ag. We're headed to the home stretch of football season and basketball is in full swing. And BetOnline remains the number one spot for all the action this year. Head to the new updated desktop or mobile website to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Use the promo code BLEAV50, 50 B-L-E-A-V-50, to receive your bonus bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet all your favorite sports bet online where the game starts oh yeah everybody it's time for the memes of the weekend podcast here on the Take It Easy podcast, our first Memes of the Weekend of 2022. Memes of the Weekend might come to an end once football season comes to an end, but we'll see what we do with that. I know this started as a concept during August in the doldrums of the sports calendar, so maybe during the down period of the sports calendar post-football that maybe we'll keep Memes of the Weekend around. But we've got a few Memes of the Weekends left here, and this is a Good one here. Why is it a good one? Because we have 15 NFL games from which to pick content from, so this is going to be a fun memes of the weekend, I have a feeling. We got forgettable game of the week, easy pick this week. Uh, we've got a funny story from post game of the Eagles and the Washington football team. And uh, Kirk Cousins Purgatory, there were two catego- two people who were right in there, and uh, one of them is a first-timer uh, who's going to get the award this week, so we'll get to that in a little bit. But first, we need to take a deep dive into a meme that I throw away as a line every now and then, but I feel like this is the most appropriate time to take a deep dive into one of the jokes that we throw out here quite constantly in the 820 episodes that we've done here on the Take It Easy podcast. You have probably heard me say sometime in the, on this fine podcast that we have here, whenever you think the Raiders are for real, they are not. The Raiders are not allowed to be good. When you think the Raiders are good, they are not. And they will find a way to disappoint. And yet, here we are. January 3rd. 1 week left in the NFL season, but in every other year of the NFL on what would be Black Monday, and the Raiders are currently the 6th playoff team in the AFC. They are 9 and 7, and the Raiders have a one game winner go home against the Los Angeles Chargers on Sunday. Not what I was expecting at the start of the season. Not by a long shot. And the Raiders, who time and time again I've said are not good. Remember uh, back when the Raiders were 5-2 and two and they were playing the Kansas City Chiefs who were kind of struggling at the time. And I said, Chiefs, Sunday Night Football in Vegas all the way. Simply on principle, the Raiders are not allowed to be good. The Raiders were 5 and 2. They won two games in a row after firing John Gruden. Well, no, actually after John Gruden resigned in disgrace. I shouldn't say they fired John Gruden. After John Gruden resigned in disgrace, they were 5 and 2. And this was a team that I thought at the start of the year might only win 5 games cuz on paper the Raiders were not super talented. Yes, they still brought back Derek Carr, who for two years I've been talking about him in quarterback purgatory and how the Raiders should at the very least try and explore options for upgrading the quarterback position. And then Derek Carr had another fantastic season this year. Derek Carr is the bar for franchise quarterbacks, and we've said this time and time again. What does that mean? Derek Carr is as good as the team you put in front of him. The best team Derek Carr ever had was the team that made the playoffs at 12-4, and 4, and then he broke his leg and missed the playoff game, and Connor Cook played against Brian Hoyer. But that year, Derek Carr was 4th in the league in passer rating, and the year that they traded all the players on the team, Derek Carr was 27th in passer rating. Derek Carr is as good as the roster that you put in front of him. And this year, Derek Carr has actually elevated the Las Vegas Raiders relative to the players that they have on the field. Josh Jacobs is a former Pro Bowl running back. He has been healthy partially this season, partially not healthy. Kenyon Drake subbed in sometimes, who they, again, John Gruden inexplicably gave him a gigantic contract. and. It was a weird one considering that they spent a first round pick on Josh Jacobs, not just a first round pick, really the only pick that they got in exchange for Khalil Mack because the other one turned into Damon Arnett and that didn't really work out for them. But altogether, Derek Carr ends up 10th in the league in passer rating this year. There was a time where Derek Carr was on pace for the 4th most passing yards in the history of the NFL. He had the most passing yards in the NFL. Derek Carr was first, according to Pro Football Focus's statistic, in big-time throws. And he also led like three fourth quarter comebacks this year. It was a really, really weird year for the Raiders. They had a pass rush for the first time since Khalil Mack got traded. And Max Crosby made a Pro Bowl who, by the way, now has more sacks than Khalil Mack in two of the three seasons that he's been on the Raiders. So, yeah, cool. Uh, they have been fantastic this year. Carl Nazib was pretty good at rushing the pass. Yannick Ngakwe was a great free agent addition for them. Raiders had some monicum of an identity on defense. And yet, when you looked at that team on paper, it felt like they were destined for the same team that they were last year, which was 7-9, and nine. and if they get... More lucky with Ryan Fitzmagic not getting a face mask grabbed, flinging a pass. They maybe have a higher pick in the draft. But the Raiders, one playoff appearance in 20 years for this franchise. It is now 2022. They made the Super Bowl in 2002. Or they won the Super... No, they lost the Super Bowl to Tampa Bay in the 2002 season. It is 20 years since that. The Raiders have made one playoff appearance in the 20 years since. And of all the teams in the AFC who have kind of been shit for the past 20 years. And we talk about this a lot because of the reign of Tom Brady and Peyton Manning happening to exist happening to exist in the same conference at the same time. The Patriots dynasty meant a lot of teams, not just in the AFC East, but a lot of teams were going to have long periods without success. It's a byproduct of Only so many teams can make conference championship runs. Only so many teams can make it to the second round of the playoffs. Only so many teams can make the Super Bowl. Jacksonville had the one conference championship run as their only good season in 20 years. Dolphins haven't won a playoff game in 20 years. Jets, if you take out the two years uh, where they were pretty good with Mark Sanchez and Rex Ryan and made conference championships... Haven't made the playoffs since that, didn't make the playoffs for eight years before that. No playoff appearances in between. Uh, Buffalo Bills, 17 years without making the playoffs. Chargers, uh, they, they had a good run there in the 2000s, two playoff appearances in the last decade. And the Raiders are the worst. Of this bunch. I mean, I I forgot to throw Cleveland in the mix there, too. Cleveland, you disgusting beings. Yes, Cleveland also being terrible. And you could genuinely make an argument like it sucks for Cleveland, but Cleveland has at least a, a semblance of a good team now. Cleveland made the playoffs last year. Cleveland, for as bad as they are, we don't talk about the Raiders in the last 20 years in that same vein as Cleveland. And this year felt like it was just everything piling up on the Raiders again. Yes, the Raiders have a franchise quarterback, but is Derek Carr really a franchise quarterback? He's been a quarterback for a decade. The Raiders haven't done much success. They paid him a ton of money. It's kind of like the the cheap version of a franchise quarterback. It's the it's the Raiders getting a franchise quarterback, but it's not like a generational talent that changes the fortunes of the Raiders franchise. It's Derek Carr. Very fine quarterback. He's going to be their quarterback for a decade, but they could have traded him three years ago. They could have traded him two years ago. That would have meant he only spent six or seven years as the Raiders franchise quarterback, and they chose to keep Derek Carr surprisingly outlasting John Gruden in Las Vegas because the whole idea when John Gruden was hired was that he was going to be the quarterback guy and that he was going to pick his own quarterback in the draft. And by the way, if Justin Herbert didn't go back to college in 2020— or 2019, instead of going in the 2019 draft, maybe they don't stick with Derek Car. Sometimes it's just that simple. All of this to say, Las Vegas was down and out of the playoff chase. Las Vegas was six and seven, and we didn't have to keep pretending like they were a good team. They lost four five games out of six. Last second field goal against a Washington team that we know is not good at all. The the Las Vegas Raiders were the team that I thought they were at the start of the year after a weird fluke start where they beat the Ravens in overtime the first week of the season when the Ravens were clearly a better team than them, and they beat the Dolphins in overtime, and they had this weird run of success, and they happened to beat the Denver Broncos twice. The Raiders... Also, are a team that lost to the terrible Washington team, the terrible Giants team, got pummeled by the Cincinnati Bengals, pummeled by the Kansas City Chiefs, and they were the beneficiaries of CeeDee Lamb and Amari Cooper being injured on Thanksgiving, and Derek Carr having a comeback against the Cowboys. All of that to say, Raiders not actually play off good. And then the last three weeks, when I've been saying the Raiders are not allowed to be good, what the Raiders have done is... Play against the Browns without 15 players, losing 14-13 at the end of the game, and Derek Carr ends up leading them down the field, kicking a game-winning field goal just to barely keep the season alive. Last week against the Denver Broncos, barely edged out a victory. They both teams were sitting at seven and seven, de facto elimination game. It was the Raiders have to win out to make the playoffs. And they are about to lose to the Browns with Nick Mullins. And they're about to lose to the Broncos with Drew Locke. And they win those two games by a combined six points. And then they get to today against the Colts. And it looks like this is it. This is where the season ends for the Raiders and the Raiders come out early lead right off the bat. Derek Carr throws two interceptions. They give the Colts all the opportunities in the world. The problem was they were just going up against the Carson Wentz experience. What is the Carson Wentz experience? Anything you want it to be on any given Sunday. And Jonathan, they, the Carson Wentz experience was going so dumb for the Colts today that with no timeouts left and 12 seconds left in the half, The Colts decided to run the ball at the two-yard line, which is the only thing you can't do because then there's a pile up on the ground, and then nobody knows, uh, they have to pull bodies off of each other, and by the time you do this, the clock is going to run out. They basically said, bleep this, it's going to be one Jonathan Taylor run from two yards out, or it's going to be nothing, because bleep it, we just... Need to do what we do best. And that's Jonathan Taylor who might get 2,000 yards this season. I know it's cheating because of the 17-game season for people who are like, it's not a pure 2,000-yard season. But Jonathan Taylor might get 2,000 yards this season. It was so Dumb what the Indianapolis Colts were doing. By the way, I don't even know how Carson Wentz was able to play in this game. I thought we were getting Sam Ellinger because Carson Wentz was unvaccinated. But all of a sudden, CDC changes the rules controversially to allow people to go back to work. All of a sudden, Carson Wentz is suiting up for the Colts. And Colts fans who thought they were going to get a week of reprieve from the Carson Wentz experience got no such thing. And the Raiders not just won the game, but like led the entire way through the game. The Colts took the lead in the third quarter, it was 17-13, the Raiders got a touchdown right back. The Colts had to kick a field goal that I just assumed with Money Badger, aka Michael Badgley, which is it's a funny nickname because he's such a bad kicker and there aren't enough good kicker nicknames. This is something I wanted to correct over the offseason, is figure out good kicker nicknames because... There's a lot of potential, but not enough good ones. The fact that Michael Badgley, a.k.a. Money Badger, sucks at kicking and has a nickname of Money Badger is fantastic, but I was just assuming from all the Chargers days that the kick was going to miss. He ends up making it. Derek Carr gets the ball with two minutes left to go. Throws to Hunter Renfro, which is amazing, by the way, that Hunter Renfro almost has 1,400 yards this year, and the Raiders win the game. The Raiders win the game. Derek Carr leads another fourth quarter comeback, and the Raiders get to nine and seven in this weird, like Matthew Stafford Lions purgatory that the Raiders find themselves in, where we know the team is not playoff good, and yet Matthew Stafford, who would always like he he always had the most passing yards in a career, like fastest to thirty thousand, fastest to forty thousand, fastest to fifty thousand, and had the most comeback wins in the NFL because they always had to come back from behind. Like it, it just doesn't matter the opponent. Derek Carr finds himself having to lead comeback drives just like Derek Carr has been doing his entire career. And now the Raiders might make the playoffs because the Chargers aren't actually that good. By the way, I think my one of my favorite moments from Sunday, there were a lot of good ones. We're going to talk about a lot of them, but I think maybe my favorite moment from Sunday was when it was 7-0 in the Chargers-Broncos game. And from the one-yard line, Brandon Staley, who is a deep, deep subscriber to the punting is for cowards club, deep subscriber to punting is for cowards. He went an entire game against the Chiefs without punting the ball, went for it on fourth down like five times, didn't get very many of them, still went for it every single time. From the one-yard line, Brandon Staley kicks a field goal in the second quarter of a game. And I saw that, and the first thing in my mind is that everyone's going to get upset about this on the internet, but the easy explanation is, what are the Broncos going to do? Score points? With who? Brett Rippian? Or Drew Locke? No, the Broncos are going to run the ball... Two yards at a time, they're going to punt the ball from the 45-yard line just like Utah did twice against Ohio State in the Rose Bowl and just like Stanford does in every single game they've ever played. They're going to punt the ball from the opponent's 42-yard line. They're going to run three yards at a time. They're going to have five-minute drives that are going to end in field goals twice a game. They will get six points. Maybe the defense scores a touchdown, but that's it. It is six points on offense, and so Staley's like, I could go for this, but I could also just kick this field goal from the one-yard line because the Broncos aren't going to score points. Let's just secure the victory, then we can start doing dumb shit. It was my favorite part of the entire day, was just the the disrespect paid to the Denver Broncos offense. It's like, yeah, I'm going to kick this field goal. Is it a good analytic decision? No, but you guys... We just need points now so we can go do dumb shit in the second half. As long as we get 17 in the first half, which is what the Chargers did, we're probably going to win this game because your ass ain't scoring more than six points on offense. And that is exactly what ended up happening. And anyways, this brings it back to the Raiders. This is relevant because the Raiders play the Chargers next week. Winner gets a playoff spot. As long as the Colts win against either the Jaguars or the Texans, I don't remember which one they're playing. It's one of them. Then the Colts get a playoff spot and the Raiders and Chargers game becomes a play-in game. And I don't feel great about the Chargers' chances to win. I know the Chargers are a better team than the Raiders, but it doesn't mean I feel good about the one-game random sample sizes of the NFL working the Chargers' way. In fact, I might pick the Raiders in that game. But the thing that is stopping me from picking the Raiders in this game, regardless of what I actually think or whether the game is in Las Vegas, which is just going to be an ultimate no-fans-of-either-team game between Los Angeles Chargers and Las Vegas Raiders. The thing that is stopping me, even if I thought that the Vegas line leans in favor of the Chargers too much and the Raiders are a good value pick, no matter what, we must stick to the principle now because if we bail now, then we don't believe in the concept once and for all that has been tried and true for two damn decades. Whenever you think the Raiders are legit, whenever you think the Raiders are good, they are not. They are not. The Raiders may be the sixth seed one week out from the playoffs. They might make the playoffs this year. But we stand by our principle. The Raiders are not good. The Raiders will find a way to mess it up. We know they are not better than the Chargers. does not mean they can't win a one-game random sample against the Chargers, but believe in the principle. The Raiders are not allowed to be good. And anytime you think, it might be tested right now, three-game win streak when you had to win every single game to make the playoffs. It might be tested right now, but believe me, the Raiders are not good. And if you're starting to think the Raiders are good, Stand by the principle we have been standing by for 820 episodes here on the Take It Easy podcast. Every time you think the Raiders are good, they are not. We got to move over to the other wild card picture here on the Memes of the Weekend podcast. Not to talk about it seriously, because again, the bottomless pit of hell that is the NFC seventh seed is almost over at this point. But it looks like the Eagles are going to make the playoffs. And it means that technically we're supposed to talk about Eagles and Washington football. And I don't want to talk about Eagles and Washington football. Because there was nothing interesting about that Eagles and Washington football game. There were nine games on in the morning block. A 20 to 16 Eagles and Washington game doesn't move the needle for me when I know both of those teams are not playoff caliber teams. But the Philadelphia Eagles have happened to have beaten every single team below 500 that they've had the entire season. And so they're going to get nine wins. And because the Vikings had a tougher schedule and because the Saints have had four different quarterbacks, it looks like the Minnesota Vikings are going to, or that the Philadelphia Eagles are probably going to make the playoffs in the NFC. But the thing I want to talk about from this game is not the Taylor Heineke interception in Kirk Cousins' purgatory at the end of the game, and it's not the fact that Jalen Hurts and Boston Scott are going to show up for another goddamn playoff game because remember the last time The Eagles were in the playoffs. It was Carson Wentz, and then it was Josh McCown, and it was Boston Scott. And Boston Scott is going to be in another goddamn playoff game. But the Vikings, or the Eagles are going to emerge from the bottomless pit of hell in the NFC, it looks like. The thing I thought was hilarious was the end of the game video that is probably all over Twitter if you want to find it, of the Washington Stadium, aka FedEx Field getting as Jalen hurts is walking into the tunnel and fans are reaching over to give him a high five, the guardrail breaks and about three or four fans fall down onto the field. It's not a huge fall. It's only like, you know, four feet, but the guardrail breaks and three or four fans fall onto the field because they're leaning up against this railing. And, Jalen Hurts stops to make sure they're okay and the fans in this moment are already like just hoping that Jalen Hurts gives them just a high five because this might be their only chance to meet Jalen Hurts for even a split second and this is the weird thing about meeting athletes and famous people is that you only have three seconds to tell him something or, say, or do, say anything to Jalen Hurts, whether he hears it or not, for the rest of your life. This is how we get this amazing video of the New York Jets fans booing their team off the field after the butt fumble, leading to a fan call, clamoring for Tim Tebow in the second half of the game. <laughs> And so these Eagles fans who have either traveled all the way to Washington to watch a truly, truly terrible football game, just truly terrible, or they live in Washington, are Philadelphia Eagles fans, and this is their one chance every year to splurge on tickets to go to the stadium where it leaks water in the press box, according to one reporter today putting out a video of water dripping from the ceiling into the press box, and where poop rains on all of their fans because sewers have burst not once, not twice, but three times this season at the Washington football team stadium. I guess I should call them Washington racial slurs still. The Washington racial slurs stadium, and... The Washington team has the guardrail break and Eagles fans who bought premium tickets to this game are now all of a sudden on the field, on their butts, or on their faces with Jalen Hurts standing over them. And the first instinct of multiple people is, I need to get a selfie with Jalen Hurts. It's the first instinct of people after they've just fallen through the guardrail, they've landed on their butt or on their face. This video has been now viewed 2.8 million times on Twitter. Twitter. And their first instinct is Let me get a photo with Jalen Hurts as he's walking into the tunnel. Dude, I get it, but that's your that's the first thing you think of in that moment. Let me get a photo with Jalen Hurts, and probably let me say some dumb shit to Jalen Hurts, but they you know, they didn't really have the the audio turned up to hear what dumb stuff, what Tebow Save Us moment they had for Jalen Hurts. But That was my favorite moment of the day was Eagles fans deciding I need to immediately take a selfie after the guardrail breaks and I fall on my face four feet at RFK Stadium or whatever they call it now, FedEx Field, whatever, at the racial slur stadium that rains poop and leaks water from the ceiling, and as guardrails break, allowing Eagles fans to fall on the field like it's the goddamn 1980s, and you have like 1950s stadiums not being kept up because the city is in a battle with the team over who has to pay for maintenance, and you have concrete falling on top of people, which is literally a thing that has happened at not one, not two, not three, but four old NFL stadiums in the 1980s. It happened in Cleveland, happened in Oakland, happened in San Diego, and I believe... I I, it, I don't think concrete fell, but remember that old Minnesota stadium where snow just collapsed right on top of the field? It just broke the roof and the snow just fell right on midfield. Google uh, Google Hubert H. Humphrey Metrodome snow collapse if you want to watch the video of it. Just middle of the day, Just the, the roof just collapsed. And then... Two years later, they had a brand new stadium in Minnesota. So yeah, like those old-timey stadiums where they just didn't give a shit about who paid for maintenance, that's basically what happens at the Washington football team stadium for the shitty 6-10 and team that everyone thought was going to make the playoffs four weeks ago, and damn it if I wasn't right about how shit that football team is. Not just metaphorically, but actually shit. Because again, three separate times this season, it has rained shit at the Washington football team stadium because a sewer has burst in the middle of the stands. It is time for us to award the Kirk Cousins Purgatory Award for week number 17. There's been a long season here with many awards for Kirk Cousins. Originally the award was nominated in the name of Philip Rivers who was always Down eight, no timeouts, length of the field, one minute left to go in the game, in every single game that he played. And that is where Kirk Cousins has lived all season. And for the first time, we have a Tom Brady Kirk Cousins purgatory, somehow against the New York Jets. I thought we were going to get to play the New York Jets victory music here today, the New York, New York song. Um, And Tom Brady had a miraculous comeback with a minute to go because that game was just absolutely stupid. And now Tampa's like one Packers loss away from being the number one seed in the NFC. And they have the same record as the Rams. And that's going to be a really fun matchup whenever they play in the second round. But yeah, uh, I thought the jets were going to win and the jets did not because Tom Brady threw a 40 yard touchdown pass with a blown coverage to again i've made this joke already earlier in the season a made-up wide receiver to cyril grayson who the fuck is cyril grayson that is a made-up wide receiver who just happens to have like three catches for 150 yards this year and it's all he's done all season but yeah tom brady kirk cousins purgatory award congrats i mean cyril fucking grayson (laughs) So speaking of the Buccaneers, are we obligated to do the Antonio Brown story here somewhere on the podcast? Because I skipped over it on NFL Monday. I just skipped over the whole Bucks and Jets game altogether. I skipped over it for the first two segments here. I'd rather talk about the falling stadium or the stadium falling apart in in Washington than I would about Antonio Brown, but it feels like this is going to be a lead story tomorrow and everyone's going to have an opinion about it and most of them are going to be bad. So I guess the point I have here is we went through the oh my gosh Antonio Brown is an idiot cycle back when we first started the podcast in 2019. And and you can go deep into the archives and find it, but just the basic idea is that I kind of regret a lot of the ways that we talked about that story. Um, It was new. It was a lot of, you know, getting your footing and learning how to actually do this. And one of the things that we did was kind of just repeat what other people were saying about some situations. And so I kind of just like repeated what other people were talking about with Antonio Brown. And then we talked about Antonio Brown and mental health last year and Antonio Brown with the vax card was a story that we kind of skipped over. And there's been, and of course, there's also the, you know, maybe raped someone and also sexually assaulted another person and maybe sexually harassed another person. Antonio Brown's got all of that in the backdrop that makes all of it less funny. And when the whole vax card situation came out, we didn't really talk about that story very much. And, Part of it was just like there wasn't really anything new to add to the story. Antonio Brown went through this literally last year where he was suspended for eight games. Bruce Arians said they weren't going to sign Antonio Brown. Tom Brady got involved. They signed Antonio Brown. This year, Antonio Brown got a three game suspension for the fake Vax card. And Bruce Arians basically said, uh, We are not going to, we might, or sorry, he said, We might not bring Antonio back altogether. And then, you know, Tom Brady gets involved and Antonio Brown's back and he said, we're going to do what's best for the team regardless of outside noise. And Antonio Brown has the press conference this week where he's like, y'all like to talk about drama and I want to talk about football. And then this happens and everyone's got an opinion. And the easiest the easiest thing to ever say, and we talked about this uh, a couple weeks ago when we were talking about, uh, I can't remember what it was now, but the thing I do all the time is that I don't want to say the most obvious thing. I find it really obnoxious when people just say the most obvious thing. And sometimes that's just their way of avoiding a topic is saying something that is universally correct. Like, yes, you should not drink and drive. Yes, on the Henry Rugg situation is, is specifically what I was talking about with that. Um, saying the most obvious thing in these situations, like Antonio Brown shouldn't have quit on his team. Yeah, no shit. Okay, like everyone agrees on that, but that's not an actual stance there. And the thing about this story is there isn't really any stance to go deep into other than I've said for a long time that Antonio Brown is willing to live with the consequences of his decisions. Antonio Brown can walk off the field and toss his jersey aside, and Mike Evans can try and console him on that situation, and Antonio Brown can... Do whatever Antonio Brown wants if he's willing to live with the consequences of his decision. The same thing with the helmet situation. The same thing with the leaking of the John Gruden phone call. The calling Mike Mayock a cracker. The holding out of camp. The getting cut by the Raiders and then posting the free video where he's running around his lawn. like if Antonio Brown is willing to live with the consequences of his decisions I'm not going to judge him for doing it like it's not really that big of a deal now it's something we've never really seen before other than you know Vontae Davis I think it was Vontae Davis retiring mid-game because he realized like he, he couldn't physically do it anymore like physically and mentally he wasn't in a position to keep playing and so he walked away like Antonio Brown it's gonna get memed a lot it's it's an easy target Antonio Brown's been memed a lot in the past but I'm not gonna be someone who does the easy thing of just bashing Antonio Brown Antonio Brown is a lunatic Antonio Brown is selfish Antonio Brown is a bad teammate okay all those things are what everyone is gonna say people are gonna say some racist shit tomorrow about Antonio Brown or dog whistle some racist shit about Antonio Brown we've seen this before it's gonna happen it's gonna happen again with other Antonio Brown like players and uh yeah that's five minutes on Antonio Brown that I don't really have that deep on other than that like if if he's willing to live with the consequences of his decisions I ain't gonna judge him for doing it maybe he was ready to blow shit up in Tampa not quite sure why but maybe Antonio Brown has his reasons and maybe he came to that conclusion or maybe it was just a heat of the moment situation that he's now going to have to live with the consequences of more so just for like how we remember Antonio Brown years down the road but whatever Antonio Brown will do that and people will not put him in the hall of fame on the first ballot as like a character issue punishment and it's going to be stupid and Whatever. We've seen this before. Nothing super new. This is like the fifth most interesting thing that's happened to Antonio Brown in the last three years. Last but certainly not least, we have the forgettable game of the week. and This is an easy one to pick because it's a game that I don't want to talk about. The Giants and the Bears. Apparently they played football. NFL Red Zone decided to do a rare thing on the broadcast where... They just didn't show the game at all. They said during the first block that there were nine morning games and eight of them had playoff teams in them. The one that didn't was Giants and Bears. And so they decided, yeah, we're going to show every touchdown from every game. Other than that, we ain't showing shit from the Giants and Bears except Robert Quinn having 18 sacks. Breaking a Bears franchise record, which I was baffled. I was like, "Jesus Christ, how does Robert Quinn have 18 sacks on the season?" I thought, if you would have told me Robert Quinn was just like a backup for the Bears at this point, I would have believed you. I had no idea Robert Quinn was leading the league in sacks and is going to be first team All Pro in his 30s, like for like his second team. Our third team being a first team All Pro in his, it feels like his third different decade now, but it might only be two for Robert Quinn. Yeah, 18 sacks for Robert Quinn on the season. Um, I was tempted to just be an anarchist and give five minutes of game analysis on the Giants and Bears, but then I also recall that we have a 10 month embargo on seriously analyzing the Chicago Bears. And so the embargo outweighed the inner anarchist, and we just threw this game as the forgettable game of the week. Um, We're recording this before NFL Monday, by the way, just as a behind the scenes of how the sausage is made, so... I'm going to actually throw something in here at the very end that I want to talk about here instead of on the NFL Monday podcast. Rashad Penny. Let's talk about Rashad Penny because uh, he is going absolutely bonkers here in garbage time for the Seattle Seahawks. And I know I say garbage time like it's a game, but I'm talking about like garbage time as in the last four weeks. He has gone absolutely bonkers for the Seattle Seahawks and Rashad Penny is someone near and dear to my heart as a SDSU Aztec fight kid growing up uh, about 16 or so minutes away from where the Aztec stadium was and about a few minutes away from where the SDSU campus was. A lot of people root for the Aztecs. It's how I got into group of five football and really invested in college football as a kid was getting into SDSU football. And Rashad Penny was the second running back after Donnell Pumphrey, who set the NCAA's all-time record for rushing yards in a career, and then he left, and Rashad Penny was the running back for a a year as a starter, and he rushed for 2,000 yards, and he was a first-round pick by the Seahawks, one of the many bad first-round picks that apparently is going to lead to either Russell Wilson or Pete Carroll leaving at the end of the season, which if you get rid of Pete Carroll, you're just doing it to say you did it. Like, it's not going to actually, like, change the course of action for the Seattle Seahawks, but all of it to say the Seattle Sea you're just doing it because Russ wants it, if you're getting rid of Pete Carroll at that point. But uh, all of it to say Rashad Penny has been playing significant minutes now that Chris, or significant snaps now that Chris Carson is done for the season, uh, and the fact that the... Uh, Now that Chris Carson's season is over, and now that they aren't playing for anything, they're just saying, all right, let's see what Rashad Penny can do. And Rashad Penny, in the month of December, went from, before then, he averaged, uh, if you want to go back to the beginning of the season before injury, six carries, two carries, seven carries, two carries. On the season, he had 38 rushing yards. No, it can't be that low. No, 43 rushing yards. He had 43 rushing yards prior to the month of December. The Seahawks declined his fifth-year option. And then he went 10 carries, 35 yards. Texans, 16 carries, 137 yards, two touchdowns. Rams game, 11 carries, 39 yards. Not great. Then the last two weeks, against the Bears, 17 carries, 135 yards, one touchdown. Against the Lions, it's the third quarter And he has 152 rushing yards, two touchdowns. In the last four games against bad rushing defense, like Texans, Bears, Lions, doesn't get much worse than that, not really get, (laughs) doesn't really get much worse than that at all. Um, He has 500 rushing yards and five touchdowns in garbage time, and that might be just enough to convince the Seahawks that they should give him another year. Or he'll go to another team and have it, like uh, Kenyon Drake, because... The Cardinals basically gave Kenyon Drake $10 million because he had four touchdowns in one game against the Browns. So if you see three games, five touchdowns in a year that's kind of got a weak running back class available, maybe this is you looking up and saying, we'll take a flyer on Rashad Penny and see what he can do. Maybe on a two-year deal, maybe a one-year deal, but we'll take a flyer on Rashad Penny. Someone's going to do it. Might be the Seahawks. It's going to be a team that's kind of crap because it looks like the way Rashad Penny goes off is the only reason he's playing is because the Seahawks have nothing to play for. And they happen to play the Texans, Bears, and Lions, and he had 500 rushing yards and five touchdowns. And I think pretty much any running back, if given enough carries, could have 500 rushes for five touchdowns against the Texans, Bears, and Lions. But congrats to Rashad Penny. He's looking like a real legit bust and he might still be that because he's probably still going to leave as a free agent this year after four years. First-round pick running back, it's really one of the worst ones. Like, Sony Michelle is one people point to of, like, bad first-round running back picks in the last five years, and there haven't been that many, to be fair. But Penny going in the first round, probably the worst among them. Big part of why the Seahawks are where they are now is that in the six years post-Legion of Boom They've drafted two all-pro players, one being DK Metcalf and the other being the punter, Michael Dixon. So those are the only real great prospects they've hit on in the past six years. It's an old roster now. They traded two first-round picks for Jamal Adams, which is you know fine on the surface, but they didn't maximize the window when Adams was there. And so it leaves them kind of in limbo right now of what they're going to do going forward. And in garbage time, they can convince themselves Rashad Penny is going to give them something good in that if they keep him around for two more seasons just like the Cardinals did with Kenyon Drake when the 45 game body of work is probably a better representation of Rashad Penny than the four games against or the three games not really even the four because the one they played against the Rams he averaged 3.5 yards a carry in the three games against the Texans Lions and Bears where he might win offensive player of the the month in the NFC probably should take the larger representative sample size when evaluating Rashad Penny ladies and gentlemen thank you for stopping into the memes of the weekend podcast Uh, I guess the meme on that is we're very dumb at doing talent evaluation in the NFL Uh, It's very funny sometimes. Thanks for stopping in, everybody. Make sure to check out the NFL Monday podcast. We had an amazing, amazing podcast at midnight on New Year's Day uh, with Stripe Hype, Cincy, uh, Blake Jude, and I had a funny-ass podcast. You should definitely check that out. Uh, Check out Walter Mitchell's John Madden memoriam from last week. Check out all the episodes. we got a Baker Mayfield episode back there. If you want to check out NFL Monday and Memes of the Weekend from the past 16 weeks, Go ahead and do it. Just download, leave the five-star reviews, all that good stuff. It is much, much appreciated. I love each and every one of you and appreciate all of the support you continue to show as our dreams keep charging forward, even without our Comical Sports Memes page. We will march on forward and continue this growth on the podcast. So take it easy, everybody. Hope you got a good laugh out of this episode, and uh, we'll talk to you again tomorrow.